All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday service. My name is Thomas. I am part of the pastoral staff here, and we're glad that you could join us today. If this is your first time here, we're glad that you could be here, and we welcome you. Uh, We are in the middle, smack dab in the middle of a sermon series that we call The Journey of Faith. And the reason why we're going through this is we believe faith is a journey here at our church. And we introduced this concept that there being six stages to this journey, each stage with its unique beauties and its unique struggles. Two weeks ago, we went through what was known as stage one. It's uh, the recognition of God. When people first recognize that there might be more to this life than just what I see, but there is a God behind this greater reality that's here. There's forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ. That's stage one. And a lot of Christians, people who come to know who God is, this is the first stage they enter into. And then last week we went through stage two, which we call the life of discipleship. What does it look like to live for this God? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And we talked about last week what that looks like and how that might be present in your life. And today we are going to be going through the next stage, which I think is going to be best illustrated through this parable that we're going to be reading through. The parable comes from Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30. It should be in your programs, or if you want to turn to your Bibles, we're going to be reading from the CSB. And here at our church, we believe when we read the scriptures, our God is alive and he is speaking to us. So can we all rise together as we read this passage? Matthew 25, starting verse 14. This is Jesus, and he is sharing a parable, and he says it starting verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached, and he said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received only one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a reading of God's word. Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord, we ask that your spirit would stir in our hearts, that, Lord, you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, exhort us, comfort us, and point us especially to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Any uh, UCI anteaters here? You see, there it is. There it is. Harvard of the West. 
I remember back when I was in college at UCI, my friends and I, we'd hang out every weekend. And we'd just do typical things where we'd just hang out, we'd lounge around, we'd watch movies, we'd go out to eat, just, you know, typical college stuff. But in our group of friends, there was this one guy. Every Friday, he would drive back to La Cunada because he lived in La Cunada, which is pretty far from Irvine. And he would come back Saturday morning to hang out with us. And I remember thinking, like, why is this guy doing this? Like, why is this guy, every Friday, he drives from Irvine to La Cunada through traffic, and then Saturday morning, he comes back to hang out with us. And I realized, like, oh, at this time, I wasn't a Christian, and I learned that he went to church. And he was volunteering in his Friday youth group. And that was really, like, confusing to me, because I kept thinking, like, why on earth would any college student waste their Friday serving a bunch of youth kids driving all the way to L.A. for that? I mean, if you were part of a frat, you just know like fraternities, sororities, like the weekends, that's like when you like party. That's when you experience college. If you're a bio major, like that's when the weekends is when you study. That's when you become more successful than the rest of us, right? But if you're like the average student like me, that's just the week. The weekends, you just used to hang out. Friday nights, you just lounge. You just watch a movie. You chill. But my friend, and not just my friend, but all these different people around me who were Christians, they were all gone on Fridays. Like they all went and just were doing something that was really different. And I remember that was really confusing to me at the time. But looking back now, I realized, oh, that's actually a pretty consistent reputation that Christians always had. Not just in Irvine, not just in the modern times, but throughout history. The early church, if you ever were around them, or if you, were, if you heard what the, the people who weren't Christians thought about them, they would think that these early Christians, their reputation wasn't that they had these wonderful buildings and architecture. It wasn't that these Christians, they had these awesome events. They weren't even known for like their Bible reading or their prayer. But what the early Christians were mainly known for from everybody throughout the surrounding regions, it was their service. It was the way they served. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 45, Luke, he reports this about the early church. He says, Now all the believers, they were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. The church was not just hanging out, reading their Bible, or just hanging out, playing mafia. They were serving each other, caring for the needs of one another. And not only for each other, but the early church, they were known for caring for the needs of everybody all around the city. Hospitals, they came from, not from the government, the idea of hospitals, the concept of hospitals, it has Christian origins. It's from the church. The idea of homeless shelters, the origin of that came from the church. The YMCA, Salvation Army, all these organizations, it's from the church. And in fact, the church did so much of this that there's one pagan emperor, he was so frustrated with Christians, and he says this about Christians in the early church. It's on the PowerPoint screen. It says, nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. If you were a Christian in the first century, you had a reputation. Oh, you're those people who serve a lot. You're those people who serve each other, and you serve the city. Why did the churches throughout history serve this way? And it's because this is our third stage. Uh, the third stage where we call the, the active life, the life of service. Stage three for the Christian, and this is just something that you're called to do as a Christian, is after you recognize who God is, what he's done for you, after you learn what it means to follow him, what you're called to do is now go, serve, care for one another, Love your neighbor. Build up the church. 
This is what often people experience as the height of Christian faith. This is where you discover your spiritual gifts. This is for a lot of us here where we did a lot of activities to serve God. And for a lot of people, this is like the peak of our faith. If it was inside the church for a lot of us, this is when you serve the ministries, youth group, you, you become a pastor when you are active in this, in this stage. Or even outside the church, you're really about your career, advancing the kingdom, or about raising children so that they would know the Lord, or you want to serve a cause and make sure that justice comes to the land, whatever it might be. And that's where a lot of people, this is a common stage that people come in to know Jesus. And in fact, this might be even the first stage that you experience when you come to know Jesus. But here's a, here's a problem. I think this problem is kind of custom for our church. Um, while this might be like a peak experience for a lot of Christians, I have a feeling for people in our church, we have a complicated relationship with stage three. The idea of like serve the Lord, serve him, it, it's complicated. And, and the reason why I feel like it's complicated is because for some of you, you were forced your whole life to serve the Lord. Like your parents were a pastor or your parents were Christians. And so you, from the very beginning, age five, whenever you're able to move, you just start stacking chairs. That's my kids right now. They're just stacking stuff. And I say, yep, yep, PK trauma starting for them right now. And that's you. A lot of you, you, you started, you're just forced to serve. And, and, or some of you, uh, you started serving like in the church or people, not because you wanted to, but because all your friends were doing it. And you wanted to like fit in or just be part of the crowd. So you just started doing it. And you just kind of find yourself just mindlessly serving. Or some of you, you entered stage three while skipping stage one to two. Like you're serving, serving, serving in all these different ways, but like you don't know who God is. You don't know what it means to follow Jesus. You don't know what the, anything about like what the books of the Bible say or how to prayer life. And so what happens is you're serving without any idea why you're serving. And that's why some of you right now, you've been in stage three for a long time, but you stop because you're tired, you're burnt out, you're even bitter. Your church like used you up and spit you out. And now it's been a long time since you've done anything to activate your faith. It's been a long time since you've done anything to get your hands dirty. Sure, you'll come to church. Sure, you'll pray. Sure, you'll sing. But to get activated, it's been a long time. And you think you're at the wall, but in reality, it's probably something else. It's just you haven't been moving for a long time. And then there's some of you here, like when you think of stage three, serving the Lord, you only think of it as Sundays. Like there's only, yeah, I serve the Lord at church. There's no idea of how to do that on Monday to Saturday. It's only narrowed to serving in youth group and that's it. And so for a lot of us here, we might feel spiritually stagnant at this current stage of our lives. And we think we just have to read our Bible more. We just need to make sure that we go to church more. But in reality, you need to activate your faith more. You are called to live a life of service And the question now is, well, what does that look like? Why do we need to do this? And how do we do this? And that's where Matthew 25, I I love this parable because in this parable that Jesus gives, he's talking about the kingdom. It all gets sparked where he tells them that the kingdom is coming. And the disciples ask him, well, how is it coming? And when's it coming? And Jesus responds by giving a parable. The parable is like a simple tale that's pointing to a greater reality. And through this parable, Jesus wants to tell us something about ourselves and what we need in order to grow in our journey of faith. And we're going to learn three things in this parable. We're going to talk about three things. Number one is the great investment. The great investment that God has made. Second is the common struggle. The common struggle we all have. And then lastly, the unexpected rewards. The unexpected rewards that await us. The great investment, the common struggle, 
the unexpected rewards. First, the great investment. Let's look at this parable again. So if you have your passage, we have Matthew 25, verse 14. So this man or this master, we're told he goes on this journey. He trusts his servants with his possessions. And what's really interesting is this man, he's really wealthy because look what he says. Look what it says in verse 14 to 15. It says, for it is, it is just like a man about to go on a journey and he called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to one, another one talent. If you look at other translations of the Bible, they translate it as like pots of gold or money. And the reason why is because this word talent, it is a unit of currency. It's a measure of weight for back then in the first century. It's almost like, it's like money. Um, but think of it like if, one, if, a one, if a penny is the lowest unit of currency today, the highest would be a $100 bill, right? First century, the lowest uh, unit of currency was a denarius. The highest was a talent, Jesus is trying to emphasize like this person had a lot of money and he gave it to his servants. He entrusted it to them. One scholar estimated that one talent is probably worth about $800,000. And so this master, he distributed about a total of $6 million to all of his servants to watch out for. He is loaded. This guy's wealthy. And notice the second thing about this is that the master, he gave to each of these servants what they could handle. Look at verse 15 again. It says, to one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, and key phrase, depending on each one's ability. When I tell my kids to clean up the house, my son, who's eight years old, I expect him to clean the whole room. My daughter, who's six years old, pick up her toys. And my other daughter, Izzy, who's almost turning two, pick up one toy, just one. And the reason why is because I know my kids really well, and I know what they can handle. And so I expect them to do what they are able to do. In a similar way, this master, he knows his servants really well. Like these aren't like strangers, day laborers who he just met. Like he knows these three folks and he gives to them only what they are capable of using, of growing, of handling. And that leads to the last observation, which is why did the master even give these talents to these servants? And the reason why is because the master, he's making an investment. If I want to save my money, I will put my money in a bank If I want to potentially grow my money or lose it, I'll put it like in stocks. I might lose it. I might gain it, but I know it's not going to be static. The hope is you want it to grow. And this master is doing the same thing. He gave it to these servants, not because he wants them to protect his money, but he wants them to do something with it. Look at verse 15, what it says. Immediately, the man who had received five talents, he went and he put them to work and earned five more. And the same way, the man with two talents earned to more. They knew what they were given this money for. It's not them watching over the home. It's like them being given a company and they were meant to make a profit with all of this. Now again, parables. It's not just a story that we're meant to go like, oh, that's interesting, but it is meant to point to a greater reality. And Jesus, with the greater reality that he's trying to point to his original readers and to us today is this is what your life is. This is what God has done for you. God has made an investment in every single person. God has made a great investment because you, as a human being, you were created in the image of God. And this parable tells us with that comes talents. The word talent, I know for us, we think of like our abilities. First century, it was referring to monetary and money. But talents is actually, it's a parable. It's an all-encompassing word. It refers to everything that you have, your resources, your experiences, your personality, your money, your abilities, everything that you have that God has given to you, 
That's what a talent is. And let me tell you, in this room, we have some talent. Like we have people who are gifted. We have people, I don't know if you guys notice, we don't have people who just like to dance. We have like dancers, like legit dancers in this group. You ever heard of, again, Anteaters, Cabo Modern, you ever heard of that, that dance crew? Yeah, we got some people who are part of that. I would love to just shout their name out. I'll tell you after our service. But they are like legit dancers in this room. We have people who are like musicians in this room. Like this praise team, we have four praise leaders. That's unheard of in a church our size. Like they're legit. And, we have a, and that's just the people willing to play. I know there's a brother in our church. He doesn't share this a lot. First chair violinist. I'm just like, hey, what, brother, why don't you play? No, no, it's all good, man. And I know there's a bunch of you like that. All these hidden talents that are there. We have somebody, they were there in the early days working with Wang Fu. Like they saw early in the days, I'm not going to mention his name, but I'm pretty sure all of you know who he is. He's like, yeah, he's, he could have done the film industry stuff. Super talented. We have a brother in our church. He was on an episode of Wheel of Fortune. And he won. And he won. Like, gifted. This church is gifted. So many of you, you have so much experience. Like, there is a lot of experience in this room. Like, some of you guys are, it's not like we're a bunch of people just trying to figure out a career and just making ends meet. We have, like, doctors in this room. Like, people who are still working in hospital and saving lives, nurses in this room. We have educators. We have cops. We have missionary kids. We have pastor kids. We have people who are presidents of their campus ministries. Recently, I was in a prayer meeting, and there's a sister who's in college, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a president of my campus ministry. Everyone else in that room is like 400 people. Like, yeah, me, I was a president, too. Oh, yeah, me, too. Like, all of them. Like, the amount of people with ministry experience here, phenomenal, amazing. And if none of that applies to you, just know if you're a follower of Jesus, each of you, God has given the wealth of the kingdom to you. Through the spirit of God, you have the capacity and potential to spread the wealth of the kingdom in every arena you go. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, that is all there in you. God has made an investment in every single individual. That's what the parable is telling us. And not only that, but the parable is telling us that it's different for every single person. It is according to your unique wiring, to your unique circumstance. If you know my wife, she is an athlete. Like she was built to play sports. And when she plays sports, it blesses everybody. Like when she plays softball and hits a home run, glorious. When she plays football, like she just picks it up, glorious. It blesses everybody when my wife plays sports because she was built to play sports. When I play sports, nobody's blessed. Nobody's blessed when I play sports because that's just not my thing. I wasn't gifted that way. You know what my gift is? So lame. I can read. Not even like read well. I just like have the patience to read. And so this is my talent. I'm like, you know what? It's all good. I'm just going to try my best to bless people. Hey, did you read this book? No, I did. I <laughs> just try to let them know. I just try to let them know. And we're just different in that way. All of us, it's our, we have different abilities. We have different capacities. Some of you, you have high capacity for production. You could produce a lot, but you have very low emotional capacity. You can't do it for long. Some of you, you have high emotional capacity. Like you're consistent. You will serve every week. The very low productive capacity. Like it's not that good, but we appreciate it. You know, it's just different. Everyone's wired different because God knows. He knows who we are and our talents, it's in each of us with the mixture of our abilities, capacities, personalities. 
But the most important point is this, of the parable. God wants you to grow and multiply that investment he poured into you. Use your talents to spread the kingdom. Use your talents and spread the wealth of the kingdom. It is a tragedy if my wife did not play sports. This past eight years was a tragedy when we had kids. She couldn't play sports. It was a loss to the world that she couldn't play sports for eight years. As she's playing sports right now, life is normal. It is normal for her to play sports. It is natural for her to play sports. But it is kingdom when she uses those sports to bless people, uniting sisters together. When she uses her sports to be able to know sisters, be intentional with them. Oh, that's kingdom there. For some of you, if you own a home, just know it is a tragedy if the only people in your home that you bought is you and your family and your dog. If those are the only people who enter your home, that is a tragedy. What a waste of real estate. It is normal and natural for you to use your home to invite your friends over, to hang out, to just enjoy each other's company. Very normal. It is kingdom when you invite strangers over when you invite people you don't know and you're inviting to share life with you. That's kingdom. Employees, it is a tragedy if you're not working. If you're just playing Xbox all day, just lounging on the couch all day, that is a tragedy. You were not made for that. It is normal for you to go to work for a salary, for you to go to work to make money. That is normal and natural. It is kingdom when you go to work to bless people when you go to work and you say this is something more than just a salary. Because for us, we are called in this parable, you are called to spread the wealth of the kingdom that you receive from Christ. Spread peace, spread joy, spread goodness. Do you recognize for you how God has invested in you in this way? Are you using the talents that God has entrusted to you? And here's a problem that I think some of us run into is when you hear a sermon like this, like, oh, yeah, I have talents and God wants me to use it. Again, at, at our church, it's kind of a churchy church. It's like we narrow it to the church. We go, yeah, I should, I need to serve. Where's the sign up? I should serve in the ministry. And again, amen to that. Never less than that, so much more. There's so much more of what God wants to do with you. Christopher Wright, he wrote this uh, book that I thought was really helpful. And he says, you know, it comes to serving the Lord, serving the kingdom. The, he, he calls this the five marks of mission. Because a lot of us, when we think of serving God and serving the kingdom, we just think of evangelism, discipleship. Amen to that. But he says, that's just two of the marks. And I like the way he puts it. He says, the, the one mark of the, of one, these are the five marks. One is there is evangelism, spreading the kingdom. But there's also teaching, again, spreading the kingdom. But it's also when you read the Bible, this theme, of, this theme of compassion, showing compassion to people. And there's also this theme of justice, spread justice in the land. And there's also the theme of creation, stewarding your creation well. And Christopher, he says, when you look at all of this, you actually see that you could categorize all these different themes in the Bible that God cares about into three arenas. And here are the three arenas. The first arena is this. There's a church. Use your talents, spread the kingdom, evangelism, teaching in the church. And again, a lot of us are doing that. But also... Compassion and justice, that's society. That's where you care for your neighbors. You care for the poor. You care what's happening in this land. And then there's also creation or your vocation. This is your family. This is your job. And what we have to do is pay attention to all three. Pour your talents into all three of those. And that's when you are journeying and using your talents for the kingdom. And so quick question for us. Are you using your talents for the kingdom? How are you using your talents for the kingdom? 
Where are you using your talents? Imagine if you look at the screen, just imagine these three arenas are like buckets. And imagine a scale of one to five. One is minimal, five is maximum. How would those scales look like? How would those buckets look like to you? If you're like most people, it might be, oh, in our church especially, church five, I am just like serving in like five different ministries. Society, justice, one or two, yeah, I, I read the news. And then creation, vocation, like my family, my work, huh, how much do I think about the kingdom there? Maybe a zero? I'm just doing it for money? And so there's like this imbalance in how we're using our talents. Or some of you might be the opposite problem, like you're all about your job, like work, like I just need to work hard, five. Society, uh, man, we have issues, one, like we just don't really care too much. And in church right now, it's like zero. Yeah, you'll come to Sundays, but you won't really do much. And that's where there's like this imbalance that's going on for a lot of us where, man, we're not using the talents the way that God wants us to. It's in all the arenas. Fill all the buckets. Let it all be a five. And a five does not mean you are successful. A five means you are faithful. You're being intentional in all these different arenas. And so what does this look like for you? I know when you see this, it could feel overwhelming. Like there's so much I got to do. But I hope you could shift that. Like no, this is, don't let this be overwhelming. Let this be like a, a picture of opportunities. You have opportunities every day to join God in his kingdom work. Not just Sundays, but Monday to Saturday, when you go to work tomorrow, when you talk to your kids, when you encounter your neighbor, you have the potential and opportunity to come and spread the wealth of the kingdom, joy, goodness, peace. Just be a little bit intentional. Just be a little bit mindful that you want to do this for the Lord. Use your giftings in whatever way possible in those arenas. Now, I know for you, some of you are like, yeah, I need to do that. But if you're like me, you see this and you're like, I'm tired. Like, that just stresses me out thinking about it. I haven't even do anything yet. They're just thinking about, like, a life. You want me to be intentional every day of my life in every arena? That sounds intense. Welcome to the second point, the common struggle. And let me introduce to you this third servant who felt the exact same way. There's a third servant in this parable. And look what he does with the talent he's given. Verse 18 says, quote, But the man who received one talent, he went off, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Notice this third servant, he doesn't seem like a bad guy. Like he didn't steal the money. He didn't gamble the money. He just chose to hide it. He just buried it. That's all he did. And that was the problem. Like there, the, Jesus says this is a, a problem that we see in the servant. The fact that, not that he did anything bad with it, but the fact that he didn't do anything with the investment that the master gave to him. And this is a common struggle that I think you and I experience as well. Again, all of us, you've been given so much. You've been given so much experience, talents, relationships, wheel fortune. Like you've been given so much in this room. But are you bearing it? Are you bearing it? And a lot of us, you would say, no, I'm using it all the time. You are, but you're still bearing it. You know why? You're using it for you. All roads end up towards you. For all the resources, all the gifts, all the time, it's all going back to you. And this happens in one of two ways. Some of you, if you're the driven type, like you're like goal-oriented, like you love like what you're doing, or you just have these like life goals in your life, you are like totally invested in your career, or you're totally invested in having a home and getting a family and being able to retire so that it's very American. 
And everything you are doing, it's leading to that. And all your resources and the best of you, it is all going back to you eventually. You know, my kids, they really don't care how much money I make. Like if I do, if I, I remember I preached at this one like conference and I thought I did a oh, pretty good job. And I came home, my kids did not care. They don't care if I tell them, you know, daddy did a good job, whatever. Like they just don't care. They just want to play with me. That's all they want at this age. You know, God really doesn't care if you get that promotion in your job. He really doesn't care how big your house is. He really doesn't care what category your salary is in. He really doesn't care. And yet, even though this parable tells us he does not care, you care so much. Why? Because if you're honest with yourself, all that you do, you driven types, a lot of it's not because it's for the kingdom. It's for God. In reality, if you're honest, it's for your ego. You want to make something of yourself and you're doing all you can to secure that ego of yours. Because even when you know God's not telling you, you don't have to do this, you're still killing yourself doing it. Some of us, we use all of our talents for ourselves in our career because we're super driven. That might be like a smaller percentage. It's like if you're an Enneagram type eight or one or three, that might be you. Most of us though, we're from the OC. We're chill. We are so chill. You're all about your comfort. And so you use your time, your money, your resources, not for your career, but to rack up experiences. You work, not because you want to work. You work so you could do what you really want to do. Travel, vacation, Europe, Asia, all these different travel spots, restaurants, concerts, all that you just want the Instagram life because that's for you full life and you're using all your resources, all your time, the best of you to lead to that where you can have these experiences for you. And here is the problem for both of those situations. You are burying your talents. You are burying those talents because you're not using it to spread the wealth of the kingdom. You are using it to pour into yourself. Your money, time, resources, you do not see those as responsibilities that you are meant to use for a greater purpose. You see these as opportunities to do what you want to do. Freedom, do whatever you want. And you know what's really ironic about that type of life? People who just live life that way, accumulating wealth and experiences or making sure their career is number one, they are the most least happy people in the world. They tend to be driven people, the most anxious, stressed out people, die early, heart attacks. Or people who are very comforted, it's all about life experiences. They tend to be the most, experience the most shallow, empty type of life, especially when you hit your 40s and 50s and you have nothing to really show for it. Why do we choose to live this way? It is a choice. Why do we choose to live this way? On the surface level, it's like, well, it's just because I'm busy or I just like to have fun or so forth. But the parable tells us something different. The parable says, you know why this servant is doing this? The servant's doing this not because he didn't bury his talent because he was too busy or because he had better things to do, although those might be surface reasons. It all came down to how he viewed his master. Look at verse 24 again. So the, ser- the master comes back and he confronts this third servant and the servant who buried the talent, he says this, verse 24. The man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent on the ground. See, you have what is yours. This servant thought the master was really harsh. Now, according to the parable, there is nothing that hinted he is harsh. There is nothing that hinted that there's something harsh about this man. In fact, the master never repeats, oh yeah, I am harsh. How dare you do this? He doesn't say that. There's nothing that, in this parable that repeats that. Why did the servant think he was so harsh? He had a twisted view of his master. 
This twisted, distorted view of who his master was, and it led to a twisted, distorted way he used the master's talents. And a similar way, if we check deep down inside of us, what's really going on is the way we use our talents, the way we use our resources, our time, our money, our gifts, it all traces back to how we view our God. Some of you, deep down inside, you really don't think your time, your money, your resources, those aren't from God. You earned that. That's yours. You don't deserve, no one else deserves that. You earned that money. You earned that home. You earned that career. You got it. And you deep down believe that. That's why you feel like you can do whatever you want with it. Or some of you, if you grew up in the church, your, your mentality of God is, oh, you know what? I know God wants me to do some things, but he loves me. He forgives me. It's all about grace. It's all good. You believe that you could live your life building orphanages or you could live your life vacationing all the time and God would look at both of you and well done. It's all good to both of you. Like you, you genuinely believe that because it's all grace for you. Or some of you, you believe in God, you even love God, but deep down you do not trust him because he tells you to do things and you don't know if you could do that. When I graduated college and I got my first taste of a career and a salary and I was a new Christian at the time, I still remember an older brother telling me, hey, so you got, you're making money now, right? I'm like, that's right. He was like, dude, are you tithing? I'm like, what the heck is tithing? He was like, oh, that's when you give a percentage of your money and give it for like the kingdom or for the church. And I was like, how much? He's like, oh, usually we do it for like 10% of your salary. I'm like, cool, brother. And I drove home going, he crazy. Are you kidding? 10% of what I make to give away to some church organization? That is nuts. Do you know what I need to use my money for? I have bills. I have a skateboard I want to buy. I have these video games I want to purchase and I want to eat out. And it made me realize when I was thinking like that, I'm like, wow, you know, as much as I say at that time I was a Christian, oh, God is God of my life. I follow him. My money would tell a totally different story. Like there was 0% invested anything kingdom-like. It was all invested in what? Skateboard? Video game, food, bills. Oh, me. It's all me. Your money tells you what kingdom you're serving. Clearer than any confession you make. And I realize, wow, deep down inside, I confess, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. You'll be okay. And even though I'm told that promise, I did not trust that. I got to take care of me. That's what I got to do. And that's a lot of us here. A lot of us deep down inside, we take care of ourselves. We don't let room for God to take care of us. And here's the problem. What happens when the master returns and he meets this third servant? Like, what does he say when he hears about this third servant saying, I hid your treasure and so forth? Did the master tell him, it's all good, man. I get it. I'd be scared too. I get it. One talent, it's a lot of talent. I'm just glad you believe in me. I get it. What does he say? Look at verse 26. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. And look what happens in verse 30. Throw this good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What an unchristian message. This is such a non-churchy parable. And yet the irony is it's given by Jesus. Oh, you think you can live whatever your life you're living where you could just vacation all you want using all your resources for yourself or all of it into your career, you know what you'll hear from the Lord, that Jesus says. Evil, wicked servant. How could you think like that? And the reason why is because 
God has invested so much in you, so much treasure in you. And especially as a follower of Jesus, the greatest treasure of all is given to you. Jesus is God's beloved son. He is God's greatest treasure. And God sacrificed that for you and me. His spirit is poured into us and he calls us to live out in light of what Christ has done for us. And yet you think in light of that God did that so you could spend most of your days playing golf, most of your days hanging out with friends, most of your days just raising even a healthy family, all good things, nothing wrong with that. Jesus died for way more than that. He wants more of your life. And for you to say, it's all good, I could do what I want, you don't get the life that Jesus gave to you. You don't grasp the gospel if that's your response. And that's why Jesus says, wicked servant. You don't get it. And so a question we have to really pause and ask ourselves in this parable, are you bearing your talents right now? Like are the most valuable times and resources in your life, is it spent mainly on you? And the exhortation is, Stop wasting your life. Stop playing so much games. Games are fine. Dude, I got a new Xbox. It's all good. For all your free time and all your joys and that, something's off. Stop binging on Netflix all the time. Scrolling on endless social media about strangers you'll never meet. Engaging in mindless discussion. Stop wasting your life, this parable is saying, and start enlarging your life. Use it, take accountability for the one life you have that God has given to you because he has invested so much in you. And this is where it leads to the last part, the unexpected rewards. So it's pretty bad what happened to this third servant. Thinks he's okay, cast out. But what happens to these first two servants? Notice what the master says. To the one who had five talent and made five more, verse 21, look what it says in verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's, not wealth, but joy. The master's joyful. And then look at verse 23. This is a two-talent person. He says this when he received two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Do you guys notice the difference? Verse 21, 23. Yeah, nothing. It's exactly the same. You know why? Because that's what the master, he was happy of both, which is strange. The first servant, talents is a lot. That first servant made about $6 million profit. That two-talent person, the second servant, made about $2 million profit. I don't know, man, if I had two kids and one kid gave me $2 million, one kid gave me $5 million, that $5 million kid, he is going to be on my wallpaper, on my phone. Like, it's just, yeah, for sure. Like, I'm just so proud of them. The master does not care about what the person brought because it wasn't about the talents. And this actually puts in perspective what this parable is about. This parable is not primarily about you finding your special talent and make sure you serve the church. That's not what this parable, the main point is. The main point of this parable is that you are a human being made in the image of God, and God delights when you use what he gave you to spread his kingdom. He delights when you use all that you have and all that God has invested to spread the wealth of his kingdom in the church, in society, in your neighborhood, in creation. That's what this parable is about. And this should give us both a comfort and a challenge. Here's the comfort that this parable gives us. All of us, we deserve to be called what this third servant was called, wicked, evil servant, Netflix binging, 
social media scrolling, fantasy football consuming, just wasting your life all the time. And yet, we are promised in the gospel that is not what we're going to hear at the end of days. Jesus Christ is the one faithful servant who could do what we could not do. And so if you find yourself wasting your life, the first invitation is come and cling to Christ. Return to him. Because the gospel tells us when God looks at you, despite your wickedness, good, faithful are you in Christ Jesus. Let that be a comfort in Christ you are secure. But let us also be a challenge. Because all of us, even though we are receiving the delight of the Father, we don't experience the delight of the Father. That's because for us, it's not just to be with Jesus, but we're called to become like Jesus. Notice what the master says to each servant at the end. He doesn't just say, hey, come, uh, watch your master be joyful. Watch me be happy. What does he say in verse 21, 23? Share your master's joy. Experience my joy. That's what he's saying. Recently, it was my 40th birthday, milestone. I know a lot of us, you guys dread turning 40. Just so it's awesome. Like everyone is really nice to you. Everyone treats you really special. I don't know if it's they're really happy for me or they're sad for me, but whatever, it's great. And I experienced like a lot of like great dinners because it's like a milestone birthday. I experienced awesome gifts. I experienced a lot of good company. Like it was awesome. But I tell people when they ask me how, how was it turning 40, I tell them even the best part about it was not the gifts. It wasn't the food. It wasn't the experiences. It was actually all the people who just I got to interact with during that time. Like people who I realized like, wow, this person, like I poured like 10, 20 years of my life into this person. Or, and this person poured 10, 20 years into me. And it was just like this meaningful experience where I'm just like, it's a type of joy that it's hard to describe. And I guess got to reap the benefits of for that one moment. And similar for all of us, I think when we know deep down inside, like, yeah, when you get stuff, get stuff, it's cool. But man, when you give and give and give to people and things that matter, man, is there a joy that is really hard to describe that you won't ever understand until you just start giving your life to people. Henry Nouwen, he's a theologian, and he quotes, he says like this, quote, what a one, oh, it's on the screen, I believe. He says, what a wonderful mystery this is. Nope, next one. What a wonderful mystery this is. Our greatest fulfillment lies in giving ourselves to others. Beyond all our desire to be appreciated, rewarded, and acknowledged, there lies a simple and pure desire to give. Our humanity comes to its fullest bloom in giving we become beautiful people when we give whatever we can give. You become the most beautiful person when your life is a life of giving. And how do we know this? Again, look back at Jesus. Jesus was the most true human being who ever walked this earth. Patient, loving, kindness, just all good with our circumstances. And it wasn't because he was a person who just accumulated so much wealth and had amazing status in this world. His life was of giving. His life was of service. And he experienced a type of joy that for you and I, we just catch glimpses of. And so to conclude, a couple of challenges for us. For some of us here, the exhortation is, pour your talents. You are just filled with investments from the Lord. Your experiences, or you might have very little. It's all good. What are you using it for? Direct it towards people. Direct it towards the person around you. The person in front of you, your coworker, your, your son, your daughter, your friend, pour into them. For some of us, we need to pour our talents a bit more into the world, but we need to pay attention and care to what's happening in our city, 
in our neighborhoods, in the world, praying for them, being mindful, giving. For some of us, it might be in the church, where some of us here, like, we're just attending, and we've just been kind of, you know, chilling, relaxing, receiving. It might be, no, you're meant to give. You're meant to serve. You're meant to grow in your faith in that way. And lastly, some of us here, you're at stage three for a long time where you're like, yeah, you know, I am giving. I care about my neighbors. I care about my work. I'm, I'm here. I'm good. But yet, Tom, I still feel stuck. I still feel like I'm not growing. And this is where I get real excited because, dude, stage three is not the last stage of the journey. You go to the next slide. You're halfway there. Starting next week, there is like this deep intimacy that the Lord wants to invite all of us into. A deep intimacy that I feel like a lot of us, we think we know, but there's so much more that you can know about the Lord. It's just so next week, I am super excited to go over. This is the good stuff. This is like the beautiful stuff about what it means to journey with Christ. And so as I invite the praise team up, can I encourage us to take a moment to, to pray and respond in prayer? And just a simple question. Where are your talents? Where are they being poured into? Again, for a lot of us here, there's a fourth bucket that we have created for ourselves, which is ourselves. And perhaps for some of us, we need to be challenged. Maybe for some of us, yeah, it's been a long time since I poured anything into the church. And Lord, I need to start pouring in there. Or for some of us, maybe like, dude, all you pour is into the church. And you have no idea who your neighbors are, your work, your coworkers. It's just for money. And maybe there's like one small thing we could do of how do I make this job more about the kingdom in small ways, where I can spread the wealth of the kingdom here. And I'm pretty sure for all of us, man, just the world, society, caring about justice and compassion and mercy, we are so low in how invested we are there. And so God does invite us wherever we're at, we could respond in prayer, asking the Lord to help us, to use us, and enable us to spread and share the wealth of the kingdom in all areas of life. Let's pray and then I'll close for us.